There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome in to the Tim McKernan Show here on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. It's interview time. Interview time at the ballpark. And our guest this week presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, Billy Bush. Oh, man. When we got Billy Bush in studio, I said, I can't wait to ask him all kinds of questions. I said, can I ask him? He goes, ask whatever you want. All right, let's ask away. So when you're thinking about St. Louis and the brand synonymous with our city, it's Anheuser-Busch. Well, Billy is one of the sons of Gussie Bush. And for me, not Billy having any clue regarding Anheuser-Busch growing up when I was five or six years old and I'm watching World Series games, I thought of Gussie Bush as the guy who would come out when the Cardinals are in a World Series game uh, with the Clydesdales and he's wearing the cowboy hat. Uh, but there, of course, is is way more to it. And um, and hearing the stories of growing up in the Bush family. Uh, and and I think the thing that I think a lot of you probably are most interested to hear is, is the uh, InBev purchase and how that all transpired, his feeling on that. Also, his own brewery, he has... Uh, a new project going on, which we discuss in addition to uh, crafting, which um, we talk about uh, on, on, on the interview as well. So it's all there for you. Uh, and this is a combination of the business and the St. Louis and the politics. We get into that as well. It's all there. And I uh, really enjoyed this one. This was uh, a good conversation with Billy Bush presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies online at Evergreen STL. Dot com. That's where you can find Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, a really good guy. And if you're looking for somebody to be your financial advisor, Mark Hanna is the person for you. 314-889-0503 or go online at evergreenstl.com. Mark is somebody that I recommend to our audience that I don't think twice because I've gotten to know Mark. But I also know just personally that I didn't manage my money well in my 20s and my 30s. And I regret it in a major way, and you don't realize it until you look back and you see the difference between what you're doing now and what you're doing then. That's how I view it. But some of you might be like, well, I think I've been doing it the right way. But, you know, if this person's somebody you think really highly of, then, you know, I'll take your word for it and let me give him a call and just see what I think. We'll do that. You'll be very happy that you did. His name is Mark Hanna. His number is 314-889-0503. You can go online at evergreenstl.com. Mark Hanna with Evergreen. Wealth strategy is going to get you organized and you're going to feel better about your situation just because you're going to have a plan at the very least coming out of it. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, the sponsor of our interviews here on the Tim McKernan Show. We're in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios with with Billy Bush and Ryan Kelly. Let us know that interest rates have dropped and so it is now time to capitalize on it. This is home buying season. This is home buying season. Take advantage of it. Rates are more than I think most people thought they were going to be at this point in 2019. So go online at thehomeloanexpert.com and you'll see for yourself that Ryan Kelly and his staff can get you taken care of. And then a lot of people go, well, what about just taking advantage of the rates and refinancing? Do that as well. And no staff in St. Louis is better than Ryan Kelly's. Thehomeloanexpert.com, the sponsor of our studios, capitalize on these rates, do business with our sponsor, thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, our studio sponsor. So, ladies and gentlemen, be prepared for a trip down St. Louis history. And then also, what took place specifically during that InBev transaction? All of it here coming up now with Billy Bush. Billy, thanks so much for coming in. Well, thanks for having me, Tim. Uh, this is uh, this is going to be, at least for me, quite, uh, quite an exciting time to, to hear about what it was like growing up in your family and what you have going on right now. And I want to start with what you have going on right now, because I just heard about what you're doing in Defiance. And this is going to be pretty cool because a lot of people love to go out to the, the wineries on the weekends. And now you have something that will be an alternative, but right in the same kind of neck of the woods. Well, that's right. We're building a brewery out there in Defiance. And um, it's kind of at the beginning of the wine trail out there. 
course, we're not going to be a winery. We're right. going to be a, um, a brewery and a distillery. So we're also going to be able to make spirits there at the same time. There is a lot of uh, comparison or a lot of synergies between making beer and making spirits. So we're going to be able to do both. Um, we're going to we're go, we're going to really uh, focus on some very fine beers, uh, different styles people that that people are enjoying today, and some very fine uh, spirits, some whiskeys, some flavored whiskeys, some single malts, a vodka, a gin, things like that. And um, you know, it's it's an exciting time for yeah. for the William K. Bush Brewing Company and for me and my family. Um, you know, we've been doing this now for about eight years, nine years. We've been uh, working on the William K. Bush Brewing Company with Kreftig and Kreftig Light. That's a good beer. I really like that beer. And I would say that if you weren't sitting here, I really like that beer. Well, that's awesome you say that, Tim, because that beer is uh, really special to me. We worked with one of the most incredible, he's known as the godfather of all brewmasters in the world um, from Germany. And he helped us come up with the recipe of Kreftig. And, of course, you know, in keeping with my family's tradition and what we're all about, and that's always been high quality, I knew that we had to make the very finest uh, beer, especially if we were going to get in the premium lager segment. And um, we do it following the old German purity law. dates back 500 years, and it's an all-natural brewing process, and we only use four ingredients, barley, hops, yeast, and water. Um, and uh, we, we feel that, you know, we're delivering more flavor in our beer, yet you're still able to drink a lot of it. Yeah. It's easy to drink. It's very smooth, very, very refreshing. And, um, uh, but it's got more flavor. And so we're in that category. We're competing with the giants of the industry, um, working our tails off to, uh, to continue this great tradition and sell, sell Kreftig and Kreftig light, but having a lot of fun. Is it a passion? Is this oh, just it's a, a, absolutely like, you know, like it it's is a thing passion, you love to Tim. do? Yeah. I've been doing this. I've been I've been a part of this all my life, right? I've been um, I grew up. Uh, my father was running the biggest and most successful brewery, and he helped it become that. Um, when I was growing up, I watched him. I watched um, how he loved it. I watched the passion that he had for the business, and my entire family and my mom, you know, was a big part of it. With the entertaining, the entertaining of the wholesalers and the suppliers, and and all the all the different. Uh, people and events you get involved in when you're in the beer industry and the beer business and the marketing and you know frank sinatra coming to our house because he was the chairman there. of the board was at the house <laughs> <laughs> he was a big marketer of, of um of the products back then and uh so you know it was always a fascinating business and it always intrigued me and you know our roots grew so deep in in st louis the family's roots and when it all came to an end back in 2008 um, there was no longer a Bush Brewing beer, and um, you know, InBev had bought the company, and there were that that great tradition came to an end, and we felt like this tradition is just too is just too great to let let die, mm -hmm. and um, we wanted to be a part of St. Louis in 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 you know we, you can't be that big starting off uh, like we were back then with with the old company, but. Um, we can get back to there, and we're working on doing that. And, um, you know, AB InBev is no longer part of the Bush family. It's, it's not um, part of us any longer. And, you know, um, so we're starting over. We're starting with the William K. Bush Brewing Company, and we tried it without a brewery for a long time and thinking that, okay, we can do this. We can um, have our beer made up in Wisconsin. Our brewmaster goes up there every other week and brews beer for it, brews Kreftig and Kreftig mm -hmm. Light, and then it's shipped back here to Missouri where it's distributed. And uh, we can do that until we, you know, have enough sales behind us to be able to build a brewery. Yeah. Well, the business has gotten tougher and tougher and tougher. There's over 7,000 breweries in the United States now. Is that there's, why it's gotten tougher? Because there's so much competition? Exactly, because of the competition. There's so doggone much competition. And then when you're in the premium lager segment of the industry, you're going against, you know, AB InBev, you're going against Miller Coors, you're going against the, 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 the strongest, the uh, most powerful financially companies in the world. I mean, they can give managers Super Bowl tickets and managers and owners of uh, um, retail stores mm -hmm. and establishments and things like that. You know, you, how do you compete with that? They can get them tapped. They can get them draft systems and coolers and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you, you can do that when you're when you have the money to, to do things like that. So we have to fight and claw each and every day to um, to grow our business. But, um, you know, our, our beer speaks for itself. Like you said, it's a it's a high quality, really, really fine beer. 
and it's starting starting to slowly but surely take hold. And um, you know, we're only five employees in our in our company now. We had to we had to cut expenses drastically because um, you know, like I said, we still aren't making money. But um, we're 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 moving in the right direction. We're we're growing sales. We've got the expense uh, part of it um, pretty well figured out, and uh, so you know we're going to keep fighting, and this brewery is going to help us. Yeah, I think this new brewery will be something that a lot of people will be interested in, in checking out. Uh, when when I said to the, some of the people that we were going to have you on, people are like, I can't wait to hear what he has to say. You know, growing up in in like you said, a family that I think is just synonymous with St. Louis really throughout the 20th century, the Bush family growing up. What was it like being a part of the family, the son of Gussie Bush? Well, I, I had the great opportunity to grow up, um, with a family that, uh, you know, uh, we were all, we, 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 we never felt like we were elite or, um, what's the word that, that we were better than anyone else or, we were always, you know, we we kind of grew up humble because we grew up on a farm. We grew up there at Grant's Farm. And uh, we worked out there uh, with the employees uh, day in and day out growing up. Um, went to school like everybody else did. And uh, it was a lot of fun because we knew we represented something bigger than ourselves. We knew we represented a big company and the Bush family name. And uh, that was cool. And then to be able to take part in, um, in places like Grant's Farm and and bush gardens and get behind the scene uh tours of, of bush gardens and hang out with the animals and you know the chimps and the gorillas and the and all the and the elephants and everything um and and be a part of that was just a great time and then of course my dad bought bought the st louis cardinals back in 1953 um he saw that as a great marketing tool for the brands is that what which, is that what the reason was i think so yeah. my dad wasn't all into baseball that back yeah. then he was a he was into hunting he was a big uh he was a sports enthusiast but more when it came to outdoor sport out as an outdoorsman when it came to riding horses equestrian sports and and hunting that was his thing but um but then he realized i think uh my sister um elizabeth who is a lot older than i am um and she passed away a few years ago but uh, she came to my dad and said, you know, you have this great opportunity to buy the St. Louis Cardinals. Or Actually, the Browns were for sale then, and so were the Cardinals. Oh. And um, At the same time, they were both up for sale? Exactly. Back in the 50s, they were. And she said, get, it, get the National League team. That's, that's going to be more popular. That's, uh, that actually was more popular then than the American League teams. And uh, he listened to her, and he, he was able to buy the Cardinals back in 1953. And we had so doggone much fun with that, you know, seeing Stan Musial and Red Shandies and, and Lou Brock and Ted Simmons and um, all the great Ozzie Smith and the great managers, you know, Joe Torrey and Whitey Herzog and all those guys coming out to the house, going hunting with them, Mike Shannon yeah. and um, and Jack Buck was a, a big hunter too. And, and just being able to talk baseball and sports and um, – enjoy all that, you know, and remember the, remembering all those world series that my dad was a part of when, when we had the team and, uh, going into the dugout, you know, I remember going into the locker rooms down in um, Florida and they'd have these big old, I was just a kid and they'd have these big bowls of bubble gum uh -huh. and, you know, <laughs> filling my pockets up with bubble gum. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best, man. It's, it's the best. The How greatest. can you beat that? Oh, right. God. What so about seeing your dad out there with that? I mean, when I think of the 1980s, I think of your dad, on the wagon with the Clydesdales going around the old uh, warning track for a playoff game, you know, for a World Series game. I mean, that's that that's the signature of, of You of must Cardinal have been Bay. just a little kid. Oh, I yeah. was, yeah. I oh, my God, yeah, man. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. but that it's, was fun. Was it? It's like, oh, Ussie Bush is out there, and it's like, yes, it's Cardinal playoff baseball. Right, right. Yeah. Well, there was one time, <clears throat> there was one time, and I can't remember if it was the 85 World Series or the 87 World Series, mm -hmm. but my dad was born in 1899, so he was pretty old. And he was up on that wagon, and they brought in a rookie driver for the eight-horse hitch. Ooh. And that rookie driver accidentally um, missed the uh, missed going in between the first was it the um, between first and second and and around the pitcher's mound. Instead, oh, no. he went right he over the pitcher's oh, pitcher's no. mound. The wagon popped a wheelie, 
Uh, it was on two <gasps> wheels. It's a four-wheel wagon, right? And it was on two wheels. My dad came inches away from falling off the wagon at 80, you know, 85, yeah. 88 years old in his mid-80s. And uh, oh I'll never gosh. forget he came off the wagon. He was, ah, darn it, who the heck was that, you know? <laughs> who was driving that? Get another driver for tomorrow night. And that's how he talked. And uh, sure enough, they brought in another driver from, I think, Merrimack, New Hampshire, or something like that. And... Uh, <laughs> And everything was good after that. But, no, he had so much fun doing that. You know, he'd put that big red hat on and with the uh, feathers in it. Yeah. And he'd waved all the, the people. Best. And it was just, yeah, it was just so much fun. And he had, a, he had a really good relationship. I mean, I'm saying this from afar, but it seemed like he had a really good relationship with Whitey Herzog and Jack Buck and their stories. And I don't know. I feel like I was reading a book recently. Maybe it was Joe Buck's book. Uh, and, like, he would be on the road sometimes, and his dad would be hanging out with Whitey. And sometimes when, when your dad was, was around and they'd just be sitting there BSing into the night, you know, enjoying a Budweiser or whichever libation was the choice that evening and just hanging out. And that just sounds like something that's just like from like a movie, but it was real life in the in the 80s, I guess. Well, these guys, when he hired them, they first and foremost, they had to be able to drink beer. Okay? They had <laughs> to like love that. beer. That's the check mark. And, uh, and of course, um, then then they had to be good at, at promoting beer too, right? Uh-huh. And, and all those guys were. I mean, look at um, back, if you go even further back before your time, Harry Carey. I mean, oh, he was yeah. a great uh, promoter of, of the beer and, um, you know, and drank a lot of it while he was actually uh, broadcasting, right? <laughs> and, um, and you know, all those guys were, uh, uh, Jack Buck was would promote, uh, Mike Shannon, um, great promoter, um, Whitey Herzog loved to drink beer with Dad, and you're right, they'd get together. Uh, my, he, I, I remember Whitey Herzog coming to, to the place, to Grant's Farm, and fishing, um, he'd get there about six in the morning. He'd go fishing in the lake down there, and then he would uh, catch a bunch of fish, and he would bring a stringer full of them up to Dad, who'd be getting up having breakfast around seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning, and they'd talk baseball. And over the talk, they would drink a beer. Um, they'd give the fish to somebody who would fillet them, and they'd they'd talk their talk uh-huh. baseball and the trades he was going to make, and. You know, and and he made some good ones, didn't he? When oh he got my in, God, uh, yeah. When he got when he got Ozzy Smith, yeah. who I think was a lifetime two twenty or batter at the time, but knew that he had the potential to be way way better. And was going to fit into that ballpark, rubber, but yep. but not that great of a hitter. And then he knew he'd fit into that ballpark mm-hmm. exactly right. Yeah, and he and he based the team around the speed in that ballpark and. And he went to three World Series because of it. Whitey still talks about your dad in, like, the highest of esteem and compliments. And my my guess is it's because your dad let him do what he needed to do in order to build and manage that team. Do you think that's a fair assessment of the way that your, your father owned and operated the Cardinals? Hope you're enjoying our conversation with Billy Bush. One of our great sponsors making this possible is James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. You know, my relationship with James has uh, has evolved, actually, is the way it's a perfect way to describe it. It's kind of cliche, but it's the truth. It went from James being a listener of the radio show to saying, hey, here's starting a podcast. I want to be a part of it as an advertiser. I said, sounds good. He said, but before I advertise, I want you to come by the offices and get to know us. And I did. And then when I did, I go, oh, well, this is a little different than what I'm used to with an insurance agency. And I'm impressed. It'll be easy for me to talk about you. And then after a few months, we had an emergency situation, and uh, and James was the person to talk to, and he took care of it for us. And then I thought, wow, this is a lot better than what I'm used to, and so I got to switch to him. And I did, 314-961-4800 or online at carltoninsurance.net. James Carlton, State Farm Insurance Agencies in Webster Groves. And then we had our basement get flooded in late March, and then I got to see James Carlton actually go to work and what that process has been like. It has been in a really difficult spot, incredible. And then making, especially when I'm thinking about what I would have had had I not switched, it makes me even more appreciative of the caliber of work he does. You really do need to make the switch if you're not with James. 314-961-4800 to go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and arm, call James Carlton, State Farm. What made my father such a great success was that he knew people. And he knew that he couldn't do it all himself and he didn't know it all himself. And it was important. It was imperative for him to build a good team around him, and he was able to do that. He saw the right people, and he, and he understood that they had the ability to make things work in the fields that he put them in. 
And that's Whitey Herzog's talent. You can't that's you can't put a dollar talent. value on that. It really it doesn't is. matter what field you're in. If you can recognize people's talents and let them do their thing and get out of the way. And my huge. dad learned, you know, from the school school of hard knocks. I think he went to the eighth grade. So back in those days, you know, school was not as important as, as it is today. And uh, so he he went to the eighth grade, and then after that, he learned, um, you know, firsthand about the brewing business and and beer. And his dad, his dad, my grandfather, would take him to work every day and teach him, you know, all the different departments and facets of the brewing business. So I think what, um, I think that experience really helped him understand people. So let's talk about your father and the brewing business and then the family's involvement in it. How, how did it all start? Like the actual, perhaps obviously before your father, how Mm -hmm. did the family involvement begin in brewing beer? Yeah. My, uh, my, Great-grandfather came over from Germany. He was um, living along the Rhine River in Germany. So he understood the trade and the business that went, went on along rivers. And um, at, that, at that time in the mid-1800s, there was a lot of uh, people um, moving from um, Europe into, into the United States. And a lot of people from Germany were moving into St. Louis along the Mississippi because Again, that was a great place. They mm-hmm. understood the trade along the river. So it was, um, so I'm, from what I understand, there were s- several family members from Adolphus that, ha- that had already moved over. And he then came into America. Um, while he was here in St. Louis, he met um, Eberhard Anheuser, who was in the, uh, in the soap business. Soap? Yes. Okay. And um, he was also... He also had a small brewery down on the riverfront, and that small brewery was failing, and he was going to um, either shut it down or he was going to try to sell it. But before he did that, he went to Adolphus, who had just married his daughter, um, Lily Anheuser. And, um, he so your to- great-grandfather married Lily An- Anheuser. Okay, got it. Exactly. Right. Okay. So— um, Actually, it was a wedding uh, because his brother, Adolphus's brother, married her sister. So it was a double wedding on the same day. Oh. Um, and and he, was, he was a young man. I think he got married when he was about 20 years old. And him and Lily were very young when they, when they married. And, he, and so Eberhardt asked his son-in-law, then son-in-law, if he would like to uh, see if he could make a, make a go of the, of the beer business. And he said, sure, I, he, saw, he saw what was happening. He saw that, you know, the breweries were really starting to take off and form, and he saw um, a good economy growing, an economy growing here in St. Louis. And um, he, was, he was a great, he, 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 had, he had a great, uh, he had the great ability to see into the future. Yeah, yeah. And so he, uh, he said, sure, I'll take it. Uh, and, and he took it and he ran with it, you know, he. He was very innovative, so he was the one that um, was able to. He 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 worked with Louis Pasteur and pasteurized beer. He was the first one to pasteurize beer, which meant it kept longer. So mm-hmm. now you can ship it to farther further off places. He was also um, a pioneer in the refrigerated railroad car. So now wow. you could now you could put draft beer, unpasteurized or pasteurized beer, on a um, railroad car and ship it to other parts of the country. Which he was able to, which of course he did, and then he saw a big need in um, in St. Louis, especially because of the, of, of the hot summers, and ales were the predominant beer at that time. Ales are a little bit more hoppy, mm-hmm. well, actually a lot more hoppy than lagers usually, and um, and you they're not as refreshing because they're a little more full bodied and yeah. and, um, and hoppy, and um, he saw a need for a really refreshing lager in in St. Louis, especially during the heat. And so he, um, he and his brewmaster, uh, came up with a recipe for Budweiser and, um, people, you know, loved it and loved to drink it because it was sessionable, drinkable and refreshing. And it just took off. And then of course, um, his son, my grandfather, August senior came along, um, and he had the, the, uh, challenge of keeping, the company going during prohibition. So that was 13 years of not being allowed to sell alcohol in the United States. So what'd he do? So he came, he was also very innovative. So he came up with all different types of products, you know, near beer and syrup and soda and um, several other things, brewer's yeast for health reasons, tablets, you know, um, and several other things. And he was able to keep all 3,000 employees employed during that 13 years. 
Now, dang near, now wow. it basically killed him because he ended up dying in 1934, a year after Prohibition ended. Yeah. But luckily, he was able to see that his sons, you know, took over the company and you could sell alcohol again in the United States. Um, uh, Franklin Roosevelt uh, repealed Prohibition and you could sell alcohol again in the United States. And um, so he was able to see all that. And then, you know, there, AB was like one of the only companies breweries left that uh had made it through that period and so they that's incredible and running yeah they're ahead of the curve they have that foundation so what is your dad what is your dad able to do to take it from where it already was Mm -hmm. especially coming on the heels of prohibition to what it became under his on his watch my dad took it over from his brother in 1947 the company over in 1947 his brother died um fairly young and he took it over. At that time, there was only one brewery, and it was the one here in St. Louis. My dad opened up, um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, five or six other breweries around the country. And with that, he opened up theme parks around them, Bush Gardens. Yep. And, um, you know, the Bush Gardens in Tampa really took off, and so did the one in Williamsburg, Virginia. Um, but he was able to, um, to grow the business, grow sales, um, at that time, there was a few companies that were ahead of Anheuser-Busch, um, but he was able to surpass all the other companies. I remember, as, even as a kid, that, um, that Schlitz was doing very, very well, and they were the main competitor of, of AB. And uh, my dad um, you know, worked very hard. He went and visited all the wholesalers by railroad car all over the United States and, and motivated them to sell more Budweiser to get ahead of, uh, of Schlitz. Really? And so just things like that is what he did. He was yeah. a great marketer. He, you know, the eight horse hitch was, um, his idea. Um, the, uh, the theme parks, um, the beautiful breweries that you could come and visit were all his ideas. And, you know, the craft breweries all have these, um, breweries now that are beautiful, that, uh, encourage people to come and mm-hmm. visit them. Um, the baseball Cardinals, you know, what a great uh, marketing tool that was. And, um, he was just, he was just a genius. You know, he had Frank Sinatra over at our house as well as a, a lot of other celebrities who were seen as, you know, walking out on stage at concerts with a Budweiser in their hand. And you know, when you get cool people like sure. that, they're influencers Absolutely. today in the social media right. age, you know, carrying carrying your product is cool. Absolutely. Right? Who yeah. do you remember about Frank Sinatra being at the house? Do you remember this? Do you remember seeing him sitting around in the house? You know, I was too young, but I, he'd come in and they'd kind of always uh, shoo the little kids away. Like, okay, this is only for the older kids and the adults, you know. But I heard stories. I know one evening he was sitting at the uh, at the house with uh, my mom and dad and um he got up and he sang a song and he was looking into <laughs> at my mom as he was singing. I think it made my dad a little bit jealous. <laughs> can understand that. Yeah, yeah. Can understand oh, blue that. eyes, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm not going to have like Justin Bieber over to my house or anything like that. I, I, get, I get it. But, but that had to be so cool. I mean, I, do you realize how cool this was growing up? Or you now look back, I'm like, I can't believe Sinatra's my house. My dad owned the Cardinals. This was like incredible. Yeah. Or for you, is it just like this is our life and it's not like we're being handed bricks of 10k every day so we're just going about our lives what was what was the mindset as you're growing up and i think i think i think i realized um i think i realized that i was really fortunate and lucky to be able to be a part of all this and to have what we what we were able to have um because of it all um but at the same time like i said I, i don't think i ever felt that um i was so privileged that you know i was um better than anybody right right because uh, again growing up on the farm keeps you humble you're out there working with the employees they're kicking your butt if you're not working hard you know you're young they're older they're like you can't you know you got to throw that hay or you got to build that fence just like us and if you don't do it you know you're a big wimp so yeah yeah, we had to work hard and um that was that's what was great about um you know growing up the way we did the only problem that i i would say is School was a little bit more challenging because when we get home from school, the last thing you'd want to do is go do homework. You'd rather go out and feed the elephants or, you know, rope yeah. the buffalo or something like that. Right. Yeah. You have a little more entertainment than, than I did with my <laughs> wiffle ball field in the backyard. <laughs> a little more temptation there. So you mentioned the marketing, your father's innovation there. I mean, one of the things that's signature for me growing up in the 1980s and 90s are the commercials. How did that come to fruition where, you know, I mean, you look forward to still to this day, the commercials from 
from the brewery and what they're going to put forth, you know, uh, whether it be the Super Bowl or, or whatever. The, I mean, that is a signature of, of your family's company. Well, I just think that I think that my family always knew the importance of good marketing and they surrounded themselves with good marketers and uh, good marketing companies. And those marketing companies were able to come up with great ideas that, of course, you know, the leaders of uh, which were my family had to approve. But, um, you know, if you look back and you, you remember the frogs and the lizards uh -huh. and Spuds McKenzie yeah. and, um, you know, some of the wise, the, the fun stuff. Or, the uh, what's up guys. What's up guys. What's up guys. Yeah. 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 Um, and those, those things, they were just genius really. The Bud Bowl. I remember looking forward to watching the Bud Bowl, which I'm kind of embarrassed by, but I remember looking forward to like, who's going to win? I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to watch animated beer play football and I can't wait. Like what a loser I was, but I was into it. <laughs> no, everybody was. Like, you weren't the only one, Tim, man. It, it really took off and, and it, it was, it was genius. And, uh, and so you know, in, in the beer world, um, then as well as today, marketing is where it's at because there's a whole lot of great beers out there. There's a lot of great products. And if you, you, you got to stand out in some way and they knew that marketing would help the, uh, the product stand out. Anytime, uh, anybody loses a parent, it's brutal. When St. Louis lost your father, I think St. Louis felt like they lost a patriarch. Um, I remember Whitey Herzog still to this day, everything changed when, when Gussie passed away for you guys as a family. Can you take yourself back to that time uh, and then also kind of having to share it with with not just the St. Louis community, but, but I would imagine globally in some capacity? Yeah, you know, uh, my dad was 90 years old when he passed away. He I, we all knew he lived a long, great life and he was, um, you know, he was happy each day and he would he was out coaching the horses. You know, he'd, he'd be driving really? four horses, um, you know. Um, every day, just about up until his death. So he, we were, we were thankful, really thankful for uh, a great life that he led and that he didn't have to suffer. Um, and I'll never forget the day that he died. It was, uh, September 29th of 1989. He was 90 years old and, uh, it was during the breeding season for the elk. Okay. <laughs> so I'm getting way off. Uh, right, there right, now, let's, right? let's, go, let's go deep. But, um, but the, uh, the, the doctor pronounced him dead and the elk out in the uh, deer park bugled you could hear it it was just kind of it, it was oh just my God. like you know what this is such a fitting way that that things should go so you know although there was sadness that he was gone there was a lot of happiness that he lived such a great life and um uh and that he did so much for st louis and he loved he loved people he loved to have fun he loved his family and he loved St. Louis, and St. Louis was so important to him, and 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 so close to his heart. And I think you know, um, I I kind of miss the fact that we don't have as many people like that today. My dad always says that, right? He always he says there, he goes when there were things going on and people were maybe trying to push St. Louis around. There'd be guys like Gussie Bush, Bob Highland. Yep. You know, he'd rattle off these names, and he goes, "We were we're kind of miss when I kind of we're missing that now." Mm -hmm. So you sense the same thing? Oh, I sense the same thing, and it's it's unfortunate. And you know, I um, I I think that's one of the reasons too that inspire me to grow this business and and really be a part of St. Louis in that positive mm -hmm. light, yeah. like my father. Was. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a great compliment. What a great compliment to his legacy. You know, right. it's like for example, Joe Buck said, "I'm going to speak out about this Rams thing because I know if my dad were still here, that's what he'd be doing." So for you, that's that's part of your motivation. Exactly. And, yeah. Is it? Yes, oh, that's sir. a great thing. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm curious because I, I wonder, if, you know, part of me is like, I bet he did. And then part of me is like, I bet he didn't. The book's written about the, the end of Anheuser-Busch and the sale to InBev. Have you read them? I did read the last one, Bitter Brew. A Bitter Brew. Yeah. So there's Dethroning the King and Bitter Brew. That. Okay. You, you, I mean, you know, you lived it. I mean, mm -hmm. Did you feel like it was accurate? Or are you reading some of it and going, ah, that's that's a that's a misrepresentation for you know titillating purposes? I will say, for the most part, I thought Bitter Brew was well written, and uh, for the most part, it was pretty darn accurate. Okay, yes. all right. So going through that process as a member of the family, what do you recall? Is 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 I mean, because it's a process, not like something just like pops up like that. What what are you guys experiencing as the family? Um, as and you mean today? I'm no, sorry. I'm talking no. about like when, when it begins to change mm -hmm. and you're not in the same position that you were in and then InBev comes in oh, okay. and makes their play. Okay. 
Um, you know, when when InBev came in and made their play, uh, I was being warned by a lot of uh, AB employees at the time that something like this could very well happen because they just saw upper management not being as um, put together, buttoned up, however you want to put it, um, as they should have been. Um, unfortunately, you know, when you're, when you have a, a family company that's been family run for five generations. Okay. Um, sometimes it starts, you know, the, the, uh, the chain starts to weaken Mm -hmm. and, and that's easy to, it's easy. It, that's, I can see why that would be easy to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. That's something like that could be. Uh, not that difficult because, uh, you know, I think you get a little bit complacent and not only that, there's also the, the, the feeling that, um, there's a lot expected of you. Okay. You've been, you, you've had such a successful company. If you try to reel in expenses and you do it in the wrong way, you're going to look like a terrible person, right? So now all of a sudden, yeah. you know, your, your, your company has been um, uh, just kind of uh, on, on remote control and you're not making the money. The stock's not performing like it was. Things aren't going that well. You're doing everything on the sales side that you possibly can to sell, but it's also costing you more money to do all that, okay? And you're not actually getting anywhere mm -hmm. because now you got all this other competition coming in. The hardest thing for a family member at that time to have to do is to say, well, I'm going to reel back on expenses now. I'm going to start letting people go. You know, I'm going to start cutting back on maybe some charitable giving. Okay. I'm going to start cutting back on, on all this. Guess what the media is going to say? They're going to look at you and go, oh, okay. You're making all this money. Your family did all this stuff. And now you're going to start you know, taking away from, you're going to start laying people off. You, you know, you look bad. And so it's very difficult to do. Mm -hmm. So I, I get that part. Okay. I get that part. But unfortunately, um, there were some things that needed to be done that weren't getting done. And, um, and, and, you know, the rest is history. Yeah. It, it, they, uh, InBev, InBev took, uh, saw a, um, uh, a possibility of, of getting something done there and they took it. And, um, so, you know, I, they spent what, uh, $52 billion to buy the company, cause the shares to go up to $70 a share. So the shareholders were very happy, especially if they held on to their stock mm -hmm. at that time. But, um, yeah, it was, it was sad to see. It really was. But at the same time, it was inevitable. You saw it coming. You saw that the, the, the strength of the leadership wasn't quite there any longer. And, um, something needed to be done. And so that happened Yeah, and it gave, uh, you know, it gave, uh, my family and me the opportunity to say, okay, we're going to keep this great tradition going yeah. and be a part of it. If you're looking back on it and something that could be, it sounds like you're like, and I get it, like exactly what you're saying. I mean, this, this family and this brewery is synonymous with St. Louis. I mean, a, a prestigious part of St. Louis and therefore viewed as somewhat family, even though it's your own family, that you don't start laying off family members. You don't start cutting charity to family members. And so you're in a tough spot where it sounds like you, it became clear that expenses needed to be cut, which means layoffs and some of the charitable donations, perhaps some of the advertising that, you know, how much branding do you need locally for Anheuser-Busch needs to be cut back. And if you could go back, maybe that's the direction that the they should have gone, you think? is that? Is yeah, that, see, it was yeah. a lot easier for InBev to do that. Which they did. Yeah, because they're they just random third person yeah, from random third overseas. Person. It's, it was a lot easier for the, for them to do it. But, um, you know, looking back, it would have been probably, it would have been the right move to uh, to do that. But there were too many things going on um, inside the company that prevented that from happening. Well, then when the day happens that the sale closes, what is what is that like for you, for your family? Well, the cool thing about it is, is I was able to, I held on to most of my stock. Okay. My father said, um, he told me as a young kid, he said, son, he every year he'd give me some, he'd give the whole family, um, some shares. He said, sons, hold on to this. Don't ever sell it. Now I had bankers and I had money managers all telling me sell, 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 yeah, yeah. sell. It's too risky. You can't have all your eggs in one basket. 
for the most part, I didn't listen to them. My wife always said, no, you know what? Hold on to it. She was very smart about it, too. So I did. I mm -hmm. held on. And um, and then when the sale actually happened, it was during the time, you know, of 2008 sure. when all, everything was tanking. And uh, that was the only thing kind of um, that, you know, held everything else up. So um, by holding on to it, it it, it, uh, it was almost a relief that the sale got done in that respect. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, if you look at it financially, but if you look at it um, in just a, uh, you know, uh, just from... Just from a, a story, you know, I knew it was the end of an incredible story, an incredible tradition, and that was it. And um, so, but it did allow me to have enough finances to start this company. Yeah, and and that is and that is where things sit right now. Again, Craftig, uh, which really is, uh, I, I mean, it's a really good beer. It's a really good beer when it's around. I'm going to enjoy one. I mean, I, or multiple, you know, as the case might be. And I like what you're doing here in Defiance. Um, is this something that you're seeing pop up uh, around the country with, with people doing these kinds of things? But but you're not doing it just like in an urban setting. You're doing it out, like we said, kind of in the winery era. Yeah, you know what? Um, we're seeing we're seeing breweries pop up all over the country. I mean, there's 7,000 of them um, now in the United States. And I think, you know, 20 years ago, there were, there were less than 1,000. So there's been a bunch of breweries pop up. Um, there aren't that many farm breweries like we're talking about. So we're doing something fairly unique. There are a few of them around and some of them do very, very well. Um, so what we're doing is, is, is very unique, uh, with the farm brewery and the setting that we're, um, that we're going to build the brewery on so that people can really come out and enjoy the country life, the wildlife, uh, conservation, all that sort of thing right there along with some good beer and some good spirits. Um, and great food, yeah. farm to table, everything farm to glass. I think that's so, going to, I think it's going to take, I mean, I really, I think it's a great idea. I mean, you. I'm sure there's some guys like me. I'm like, Oh, we're going to go out and drink wine this afternoon. All right. You know, but oh, I can go out to a, to a brewery, right. you know, and have, whether it be, you know, booze or beer or whatever, and yep. a great restaurant. That's, I don't know. That's, that's a lot more attractive to me. <laughs> well, I think, I think it fits with who our family is. You know, um, my father and my grandfather, um, were all big conservationists and, yeah. and, um, wildlife preservationists. And we're, we're very much, um, in keeping with that. We like to hunt. We like to be out on, uh, in the, um, on farms and working on the farm. And, um, and we really care about conservation. And so by building the brewery out on our farm, um, and having people come to our farm, like I, like it was when I was right, up, right, right, is right up our alley. It's who we are. You know, when I was looking around in the city and, and, um, and looking at different places, there were a lot of great places, but there, it just never felt like, you know, I'm not one of these, I'm not so much urban, the urban type of person. And my family isn't either. Yeah. We're much more suited and fitted to be out on the farm yeah. and invite people out there and they can enjoy fresh air and good, you know, good, good. Alcohol. Yeah, that's what that yeah. uh, plenty of people I think will love doing it. All right, some quick hitters here, as you've been kind enough to give me a lot of your time already. Um, favorite memory from being around the Cardinals growing up? It's probably something that, I mean, listen, I mean, watching Bruce Suter strike out Gorman Thomas is great, but you might have, you know, seen Stan Musial talking to Hank Aaron or something, you know, at the mm -hmm. house, for all I know. I don't know. What, do you, what stands out? Um, oh, there's so many of them. I think uh, I think my favorite moment was when I went to a Cardinal game and we got to sit. We had our seats uh, right by the dugout, so we're right up there in the front row on the first base side. Yep. Oh yeah. And um, it was an it was a day game if I remember right, and the Cardinals couldn't get anything going offensively, and it was zero zero. And I think we had two hits, and uh, both of them were by Lou Brock. And he gets up there the third time, and he uh, he gets on base again. We've now got three hits. He's on base. He steals second. Then he steals third. And then somebody hits a fly ball, and he, and he comes home. Um, we're up one nothing in the bottom of the ninth, or top of the ninth, because uh, it's home game. Right. And um, uh, it looks the, a, a guy from the other team, I think we were playing Pittsburgh, is on base, and this— this uh, this batter hits a long fly ball to left field, and Lou Brock climbs the fence and makes the catch, it for, and kept it from being a home run, oh, and we win man. the game. 
And basically, Lou Brock won the game. Yeah, so single-handedly. I'll just never forget that, yeah. how, how incredible, you know, that guy was and what a what a fun, exciting player he was to watch. I always went to the games and really kind of focused on him, but that day was just an amazing day watching him. Yeah, that. sounds like Lou Brock was uh, your Vince Coleman for me. I couldn't get yeah. off of Vince Coleman and Willie McGee in the 1980s. Do you I'm remember those days when they were stealing bases Oh, I love it. I wish, that. I wish that could still work. I, me too. I wouldn't even watch home plate. I'd watch the first base right. pit because it was a pit of dirt with the turf, and I'd just be like, I can't wait to watch Vince run or Willie yeah. run or Ozzy run. Oh, and the you mind know? games that would go on with the pitcher yes. and the catcher and, oh, and, and the first the baseman. They're all trying to all right. figure out, okay, is he going to run? Is all he going right. to steal? And Lou Brock always claimed that he could tell a pitch out when a, when a pitch out was coming. Oh, really? Oh, he had yeah. to read on that? Yeah, he had to read. I don't know how he did it, yeah. but he said he could. Was, uh, was but he was such a great guy. Was 85 tough for you? Like, I'm curious. Like, cause I always ask these questions. It's kind of like, yeah, as a are fan. Are you it's, kidding? It, well, I mean, like, like how tough? You oh, know? it's so like, tough. Yeah. I was like, are you? Yeah. And then I went to the University of Missouri, and, like, I didn't realize Kansas City had this thing with St. Louis <laughs> until I got there. And then it's like, there's a 1985. I'm like. What's your deal? It's like been nine years, you know. And then, but, but yeah, now I'm yeah, like it's still now on I'm my more mind. pissed off about it, and I haven't even thought about it. I was eight when it happened, you know. So yeah, you're, absolutely. Your your family owns the team, and you got banged out of a World Series. Oh, you know? it, was, it was terrible. Yeah. But I thought we were going to come win, come back and win that seventh game. Yeah. I still thought we, we were so flat. We just oh, yeah. egg air and, and, yeah. and we had nothing left. Yeah, that's brutal. Uh, yeah. Favorite favorite restaurant in St. Louis? See, I bet you have, I bet you could give some insight on this. Oh yeah, you know what? I love. Uh, well, it's, it's in yeah, it's Annie Guns. Annie Gunn's Annie a nice Gunn's. play. Yeah, Annie Gunn's place. a nice play. What are you going there? You going steak? You going to play? Oh, going? I love their steak. Yeah, yeah. yeah. their steak and their shrimp. Yeah, that shrimp appetizer. That's amazing. the play. Huh? Yeah, Pete seems like Pete's on board and with you this can get, suggestion. You can get a cold crafting with it. My guys, uh, yeah, that's gonna wash that down yeah. real nicely. Uh, most famous person you have met. I bet there's some presidents in there. There's got to be some presidents in there. Yeah. Um, I mean, Frank Sinatra's at the house. I don't know how you can top that, but who knows? Maybe. Right, right. <laughs> most famous person, most famous person. Man, I've met a lot of them, but who would have been the most famous? Um, let me think here. Um, could Yul Brenner? You ever Brenner. heard of Yul Brenner? Oh, to give me a thousand guests, I would have put him on Yul yeah, Brenner, the king and I, because he might be, because he might be globally possibly the most famous guy. Actually, <laughs> he it might could be an be. accurate statement he on that. He could very one. well be. I mean, he came to Grant's Farm when they were performing the King and the I king at and the I, Muni yeah. Opera, huh? and he stayed there at Grant's Farm. He stayed there. Yes. Don't and, don't be loud, kids. Yule's up in the <laughs> up in the guest bedroom. <laughs> That's right. Because he, he had to sleep too all day long. He'd sleep. Oh, really? and so you'd get a glimpse of him here and there. And maybe, you know, got to say hello to him once. But uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. Oh, that's pretty awesome. And and final thoughts. I'm curious on this because your family, like I said, synonymous with St. Louis. And, and anytime I get somebody in here, and we wind up having kind of a civic conversation on St. Louis. Where do you see St. Louis at this particular moment? Where would you like to see it going forward over the next, say, generation or so? Yeah, I see uh, St. Louis right now kind of at a low spot. Um, I, I, you know, I, I know my my kids um, and their friends. Um, yeah, how old are your how old are your kids? I have seven, so they you have seven kids. Yep. So Holy they run moly. from twenty seven down to I have a thirteen year olds. He's he's the youngest. Oh, you're diversified. So I've got yeah, pretty <laughs> diversified. And then I have uh, four that already graduated college and. Um, and one that's in college okay. at Wash U. And, uh, and, you know, I see their friends picking up and moving out. Right. Move, leaving Chicago, Dallas, exactly. L.A., New York, Denver. I mean, All those great yes, cities. Yes, that's the thing. It, that, that was going on with my friends yep. when we were getting out of college. Yep. So I, I just don't – I see uh, St. Louis at a low point and not, not really able to keep – the young people, college graduate. Yeah, that's the key. In St. Louis. What do you think can be done about that? Well, you know um, – I think that we, uh, I think that we we have to have people that really care about St. Louis who are going to uh, be very positive, and and I think what Taylors are doing with mm -hmm. the uh, with the soccer team and some other things that are going on is is going to be very helpful. Um, but I also see, um, I, I I don't see I also see what's the word doggone it um, that they're. Uh, Oh, I'm trying to remember the word, but anyway, I also see corruption. Yeah, you know, I, I've seen it because I've been, I've, I've been, you know, involved in, in um, not corruption, thank you, <laughs> but uh, involved in things in, in business in Missouri, in St. Louis, and I, I see some corruption going on, and I think we got to somehow get rid of some of this. 
Yeah, crap when, when people on. when people talk about the city and the county thing, and I know that can be a controversial thing, and I'm not like looking for you to take a stand unless you'd like to opine on it. Yeah. But I think people, I think it was born out of in part the Rams leaving the first MLS vote where people in the county were like, oh my God, this didn't pass. Certainly Ferguson played a role in it. You travel, I travel. When I say I'm from St. Louis, they either will bring up the Cardinals or crime or Ferguson as if right. Ferguson is like, you know, all of St. Louis. That's just at this moment what we're known for in cities that, you know, we're kind of in our rearview mirror now passing us by respectfully, you know, Nashville, Indianapolis, Louisville, you see this going on and it bothers me. And what you cited, Billy, I, I think of exactly when the, the, the 22, 23 year olds, or if they go to, you know, get an MBA, they don't return to St. Louis. They stay in Chicago or at least through their twenties and thirties they do. And they might move back and raise their family here. And I feel like we're missing that, that part of the city to help propel it to the region. Couldn't agree with you more, Tim. I think you said it very well. I think we got to find ways to give opportunity to these young these young yeah. people here in St. Louis to keep them, to get them to stay. Yeah. Well, what your family has uh, done throughout St. Louis, I mean, a story, and I'm so glad that you were kind enough to come here and tell it. I mean, I've enjoyed it uh, quite a bit, and uh, and thank you so much, and, and best of luck here on the new venture. I wish I could buy stock, and I'm sure you don't need me, <laughs> but I'm just saying I think things going to kill it. <laughs> thank you, Tim. I really appreciate All it. All right. So there it is, our conversation with Billy Bush here on the Tim McKernan Show. From the HomeLoanExpert.com studios, Billy, presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. In addition to our fine sponsors at James Carlton, the State Farm Insurance Agency in Webster Groves, 314-961-4800 or online at carltoninsurance.net. Design Air Heating and Cooling, online at designairservice.com, the number one train dealer in the Midwest. It's hard to stop a train. And Johnny Landoff Chevrolet, Johnny Landoff Chevrolet at Highway 270 in the Washington Elizabeth exit. They have the free dotum special. You go out and see Johnny the Third or you see the new car manager chip and you say free dotum, you get $500 off a newer pre-owned vehicle, Johnny Landoff Chevrolet, Highway 270 in the Washington Elizabeth exit, Chevy, fine new roads. Check them out at landoff.com. Love that conversation. A lot of insightful things, a lot of things I didn't know. And, uh, you know, to hear a member of the Bush family talk about that, I hadn't heard it. Uh, and, you know, you're hearing a small business perspective and also the biggest business at the time for, you know, decades in St. Louis, getting the the inside uh, thought process of the experience of growing up in the family and then the transaction a decade ago. Billy Bush, thank you. Thank you so much for coming in and uh, talking it over from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. If you missed any of our interviews, they're there for you, all presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Go back and you can binge. Plus questions from the audience. Every Wednesday here, email your questions to me at tmckernan at insidestl.com. Always enjoy talking it over with the audience and the questions, whatever they might be, as creepy as you want, fire away. As much as you might think they would upset me, fire away. tmckernan at insidestl.com. Thank you to Billy Bush. Thank you to all of our sponsors. Thank you to Gangster Pete and Iggy for producing. And thank you to you, the listeners, for listening. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios.